0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new episode of Dirtcast. I am your co-host, Madeline Davies.
1: And I am your other co-host, Megan Reynolds. And we have a very interesting
0: show for you today. Mm -hmm. It's one of the more historic look-backs at old Hollywood. Old Hollywood. Um, Our dear friend, Jezebel staff writer Kelly Faircloth, will be here to discuss the history of the casting couch and the way that female actresses have... Long been associated with sex work.
2: It's this weird concept that does a lot of heavy lifting culturally because it simultaneously acknowledges the potential for sexual abuse. It reframes sexual abuse as a question of like what the woman did. And it also has the sort of power to question the achievements of women to be like, oh, you know, is she a casting couch case?
1: Maddie?
0: Yes. How are you? I'm good. It's a fall day, kind of for the first time today. Both of us have our leather jackets <laughs> and our matching black tote bags. A couple, a couple T-birds. <laughs> We're in like a fifties gang. That's us. There's a chill in the air. Mm-hmm. I think
1: both of us are for it. I'm super excited. We're both wearing sweaters. It's I feel cozy. I'm very cozy. I'm wearing socks, and I'm not mad about it, which is weird because usually I hate socks. Yeah, you uh, historically, historically hate socks. <laughs> If there's one thing to know about me, it's that I fucking hate socks. Um, I did bend my sunglasses on the way here, as I tragedy, showed you. Tragedy, um,
0: but we've decided that we are not. I am not going to try to fix it. Correct. Which I think is like a mature decision.
1: I think so too, because I feel like the instinct would be like, "I can do this," and just, yeah, and then the would thing, just it like would bend it back. Yes. You'd end up with two hands full of sunglasses, which is not what you want. So I feel like I've grown up and
0: being like, you know what? I'm going to take this to a professional. <laughs> They're going to bend that arm back for me. Yep. I don't
1: know what that costs. Nothing? I hope. It's free because you're not like asking them to like fix the lens or like I want a new frame. You're just like they stick it in a thing and then it's you done. leave. The other day I had to go fill up my bike tires
0: Um <laughs> and like it, that makes it sound like, like I'm a city biker but really I had to fill them up because they were completely flat
1: just from like never dead. riding because right. I was so afraid. People here are crazy. People here are insane. I would never ride a bicycle on these streets.
0: Yeah. So it's very nerve-wracking, but I don't want to, like, get rid of my bike. Same here. Um, So they just had completely flat tires, mm-hmm. and I had to move it. And oh. so I went into a bike shop, and I was like, hey, do you guys just have an air pump I could use? Mm. And the guy, like, very reluctantly gave it to me. What? When I was done, I was like, well, thank you so much. Do you guys, like, want some money for that? Uh-huh. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. What? And I was like, well, Yeah.
1: What a strange exchange. And at first I was like,
0: is this like my the rare example of like girl privilege where I expect to oh. just go in and be like, hey, like, can oh, I have
1: it? Oh, interesting. Um,
0: and then they were like, no, you like, no, it's like our you services. five dollars or whatever I right? am. Um, I think I just said I was like, it's a five dollar donation. Okay. <laughs> oh my
1: God. I don't think I've ever paid for I mean, I have a bicycle also. I have not ridden it in five to six years. It lives behind the couch. Um, Just in case.
0: Yeah. If there's, I mean, it is the best way to escape, like, an apocalyptic situation. Yeah,
1: a bike of an old Ash Schwinn that weighs, like, 40 pounds with flat tires. Yep. That's exactly (laughs) what I'll use. When they come for us, I'll be on that bike.
0: A zombie won't bite you because they'll be like, really?
1: Like, oh, God, she's really riding that? Yeah.
0: That's cute. But
1: but every time I've filled up its stupid tires, which has been, I think, once, it's been free.
0: Yeah, I guess you can use, like, a, a pump at a gas station. Yeah.
1: But a bike, this, they'll sometimes have one like outside.
0: Yeah. I'm from, again, like, as I talk about a lot, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, where it's just like everyone's like, you're riding your bike? Cool. You want us to fix your tire for you? know, oh it's my like, God. it's all, everyone like, is so stoked that you're riding a bike. That,
1: Not here. No. You get no, you get no like stoked points yes. for riding a bicycle here. People are just like, oh. But enough about the broken things in my life. Yes. How are you? I am doing great. I recently redecorated my bedroom. I saw it. It looks really good. Thank you. Um, My best friend and his boyfriend came over. They're my personal contractors. We were calling them the property lovers. (laughs) They did (laughs) not—they didn't like that. Um, No. No, it's weird, but no, they weren't into that. No, Um, I get it. It seems fine. I kept screaming, like, property lovers, and they're like, okay, Megan, like, we're drilling into your bedroom wall right now, but they're really nice shelves. I got a new plant. I guess I'm never leaving my apartment. I'll probably die there, which I mean, is fine. There's a funeral home. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, there's a literal funeral home downstairs. Yep. So. I live
1: above a funeral home. So if there's, if I do happen to expire in my apartment, we can just, whoever's left can just sort of slide me down. I was going to say, just kind of tumble you down the stairs. Yeah. It'll be really easy. So um, that was good. I did that. It was too hot on the day that I did it because this weekend was very warm. It was it was muggy. muggy, like disgusting.
0: I get why the weather is being this Same. way, but I also
1: I hate it. Hate it. But today is beautiful. <laughs> I'm wearing a sweater. Maddie's wearing a sweater. We're twins. Life is just fine. It's nice. It was so cold last night that I had to close my window. Ooh. I woke up and was like, I'm freezing. They and definitely like, like, turned our window. heat on already. Oh, they did. Well, I guess legally they have to. Oh fuck. I, that's what I. That's what I'm afraid of. I yeah. hate. Because, I mean, it just spews out, like, dead skin and, like, bug parts and, like, dust. Yeah. And then everyone sneezes for, like, three months. And then it's 85 degrees inside your home while it's snowing outside, ideally.
0: Yes. Do you have radiator heat?
1: Yeah, I fucking hate it. I can't turn it. I've tried. I can't yeah. like turn it off, do and it you, still gets hot even if you turn it off. I've tried everything. Yeah. Um, short of like ripping them out, which is perhaps what I'll do this winter.
0: Yeah, lose your deposit, but stay cool. And knew, I mean, and again, you're dying there, and I'm dying.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once, yeah, when I rip it out, there'll be a hole to the funeral home. So there you it'll go. just we'll just make a little ladder, and then we'll have a little trap door for it. Mm. And so when I or one of my roommates or God forbid, one of the cats perishes, since the cats are obviously getting, like, a funeral. like
0: yes. A regular funeral. Of course. Obviously.
1: They'll just go down the thing and then embalmed then a little cat casket. Really cute. It's very Sweeney Todd. <laughs> it
0: is. <laughs> just have a little shoot on your floor.
1: I love it. I I mean, you know, we'll see.
0: Also, speaking of Sweeney Todd, yes. yesterday oh, I was
1: <laughs> so successfully
0: trolled. This by our coworkers who are just, like, talking shit about Steven Sondheim just to make me mad. This
1: was incredible to witness. And I knew. I knew that they mm-hmm. were doing this.
0: I knew they were doing it to upset me.
1: And, and even yet, now, I'm getting so mad. I, <laughs> I was sitting next to Maddie, as I do every day at the office, and I could feel there was, like, a vibrating sort of, like, energy coming off of your body. And I was like, oh, no, it's working.
0: It's I know. Working. They were just needling. And it's... It's like what I do to them all the time, so I can't even really be mad at them about it. But I am
1: so mad at them. They were just going through the names of his musicals, like, off the Wikipedia page and being like, The Frogs, what's this? That sounds stupid.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. What does it even mean to write the lyrics to something? (laughs) I was like...
1: (laughs) It was so good.
0: What did Julianne say that maybe got me? Oh, sh- she she murdered me. She said something along the lines of, uh, I don't like Stephen Sondheim because I only like uh, dystopian 70s musicals about bad relationships and West Side Story. Oh
1: my God, and then you screamed like, Folly. I was like, "Folly's are coming in! I was like, I hate writing the lyrics. I story. Oh <laughs> it was—I mean, it was a very tense. um, Fifteen. I want to say that exchange went on too long. Too. It felt. I think it was m- at <gasps> most fifteen minutes, but it did feel like most of the afternoon. <laughs> oh my god! I'm the worst. It was wonderful. It was really nice. Yeah. Um,
0: so if you want to know how to like actually drive me crazy
1: send her emails about steven like bad emails about steven sondheim <laughs> that's like the one way like that will crack like that cracks the exterior gets right to like the mushy center of the thing yeah
0: right if you want to see me like just destroyed that's it's so easy it
1: turns out <laughs> that's eric that's your kryptonite <sighs> <laughs> oh boy Megan? Maddie? Would you like to get into the dirtiest dirt? Oh my god, I would love to. The dirt this week is kind of like, all of the dirt is tainted by Harvey Weinstein. Sweat all over it. He's sweat, exactly. There's like eczema flakes in it. It's all him. That was disgusting. That was actually really gross. I'm super sorry about that. I mean, but we can start with the nicer things. There are two nice things. One's not nice and one's okay. (laughs) Oh yeah, well... (laughs) One is like kind of like, huh? So the thing that is not nice but happened is that Robert Pattinson and FKA Twigs, who were previously engaged, broke up. Apparently, and they were together for a minute, like a couple of years at least, two to three. I want to say at least three. Right? Like, did he date her after Kristen Stewart, or was there like yeah, there was? Was there like in the middle stuff between? Yeah, they to me always felt like a very unlikely couple. See, to me, they always made sense. Oh, walk me through this.
0: So I not so seriously love Robert Pattinson. Okay. Not his acting or anything. I just think that he has a charm. He does. Um, And I think what, like, got me is, like, there's a supercut of him, like, making fun of Twilight in interviews. Oh, that's amazing. And he just is, like, very dry and witty and, like, very self-aware mm-hmm. of it all. When I read it,
1: it seemed like... It, wasn't, it was like it was a book that wasn't supposed to be published. It was so long. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah and, and we were shooting it forever. If Edward was not a fictional character and you just met him in, in reality, you know, he's one of those guys who'd be like an axe murderer. There's a
0: lot of books in the Cullen household, but know what to expect when you're expecting a half-vampire child.
1: No, they look on Google Images.
0: <laughs> that was one of the, the funniest scenes I've ever had to do in my life. It's like, really? We're all, like, 300-year-old geniuses, and we just go, it's like, vampire baby, like, <laughs> on Google Images. And, uh, yeah, that, that was our research into it. It's like, I can't find anything! This was probably ten years ago that I yeah. thought, and I was like, oh, he's actually, like, very cute and very charming okay. and funny. Right. Um, And then I think he's made really interesting choices since then. twilight So I do think he's, like, like a decent actor, mm-hmm. too. And then it always struck me that he, I think, like, is into, like, kind of cool underground arty stuff.
1: Right, like London, cool, fun things. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, like,
0: made sense that he would, like, be into someone who is, like, the embodiment of that.
1: Yeah. And who
0: also seems lovely.
1: She does seem lovely. I really only thought about Robert Pattinson as... The vamp, the sparkly vampire and then I like kind of forgot that he existed, which I think was maybe probably what he might have wanted because I feel like all of the press that I've read. Wh- what was the movie that he was just in? Uh, good Time. Good Time. Good Time. A singular time, right? Yeah. Because all of the press that came out, like that GQ cover and all that stuff around he was saying how like – his life, like, like he couldn't do anything because of, like, paparazzi and Twilight and bullshit.
0: The one story where he was just like, all I wanted was a hot dog, but I couldn't go outside to the cart to get it. I
1: can leave. I can leave. Who's that man? Is that a hot dog? New York hot dog. The kind that makes you fall in love. <gasps> so, I mean, I, I think that me, me personally forgetting about him was like tribute to what he wanted.
0: Yeah. But well, I
1: also just, like, didn't think about him for a while. And then he was,
0: like, making, like, weird Fincher movies and that type of, yeah. like, he was doing, like, kind of more.
1: He was, like, growing, like, experimenting. Yeah. Like, growing up in front of us.
0: Yep. Yeah. Look at him. Look but, at him go. But they were engaged. Just one time Cedric Diggory and now. Oh, my God. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> R.I.P. Cedric Diggory.
0: very oh. fun oh. Easy. Easy. No. This is not where you want to be right now. No, come on. No. She just spoiled
1: the end of book four. <laughs> <laughs> These are the hard truths that you come to Dirtcast for. It's true. It's for Harry Potter spoilers from like ten years ago. Yeah, right.
0: Things that could not be counted <laughs> as spoilers in any way.
1: No, but um, for anyone who has not read Harry Potter, I'm really sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's okay. I mean, you have time. Yeah. Um, They're still really good. They are. They hold up. <laughs> but they broke up, they were engaged, and now they are no, no longer together. Well, and may they both find happiness. May they both find happiness. I'm sure this is for the best.
0: Who was it who, like, broke the news of their engagement? It was someone really unexpected. Uh, T-Pain. It was T-Pain. It was
1: T-Pain.
0: Um, okay, yeah. So What? <laughs> T-Pain is the one who, like, broke the news about their engagement. <laughs> Because he was in, he had an interview with Vulture, okay. and he like said something about he's like, oh yeah, like they're engaged. Like he basically was like, yeah, F. K. Twigs and and Patty. He kept calling Robert Pattinson Patty. Just what I
1: call Robert Pattinson.
0: I love it. They asked something about F. K. Twigs. Um, he responded that she was engaged, and then they asked him to clarify, <laughs> and his response was, yeah, to old Patty. <laughs> but then. Um, The interview came out on April Fool's Day and he was like clearly not supposed to say that. Yeah. So then he tried to backtrack and say it was an April Fool's joke, which is very an obscure and weird. Like a very random,
1: like not a joke that like would not land like why? Yeah. Who is the audience for that? Like what are you doing? That's not how you do an April Fool's joke.
0: And then I think they were just like, the jig is up. They went to the Met ball. She wore an engagement ring.
1: That's right. I remember this now. Wow. There are no more. Maybe it was T Pain's fault. Maybe the the cause of all of the you know the undercurrent of strife that may have ran through their relationship was a result of T Pain. They just like have been like living too under the microscope since we said that. <laughs> Some good news that does not involve a breakup, but involves an engagement. One of the Jonas Brothers, Joe, the one with the mustache, JaJonas. Jonas, JaJonas <laughs> Jonas, is engaged to um, Sophie Turner, aka Sansa Stark. Sansa Stark, very young. Both, yep, both parties. Well, jo- how old is jo- Joe Jonas? I think Joe Jonas is
0: like my age. I think maybe right. a little bit younger. And
1: then, but Sansa, so I'd say
0: he's like. I'm I'm thirty. I would say he's like twenty-eight.
1: Okay, I would um, take that. But I think Sophie Turner is like twenty. Blah. Yeah, twenty,
0: twenty-one, maybe. Right.
1: Like, yeah. But you know what? You grow up fast in Hollywood. Engaged, ain't married. Engaged, ain't married. I mean, listen, as evidenced by our first item. Yeah. You never know. Also, go have fun, you guys. Enjoy your lives.
0: You know, Live have a, have a ring, flash it around. She did. They put it on Instagram. You know, and she on television has had so many bad
1: engagements that I she hope has. that this
0: one is uh, blessed. I think this I, is and great. the exact
1: opposite. I think this is great. I hope Nick Jonas sings "Jealous" with a gospel choir at their wedding, <laughs> just because I really like that song and I know it's not appropriate for a wedding, but I think that would be nice.
0: The Joe bros used to hang out a lot around the old office. So you would always really? like be at the bodega behind oh Joe Jonas or that type How of thing. How many
1: are there? There's J- Jojo, Yeah. Nick. Blank. Kevin? Kevin. Wow. Kevin is
0: now a real estate magnet in New Jersey. <laughs>
1: yeah. Is wait, so is Joe the one that's in that band? D N D N C C E D D. Yeah. Cool. Well, good that I don't like them, but good for him. I think my mom likes them. Oh. Which so sure. They're enjoyed by someone. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> She's gonna text me be like, I do not like them. I only said <laughs> I like them <themself."> some. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is great for them. It's nice to see that love can still thrive in this flaming hellscape that is uh twenty seventeen. Love can thrive, as can hate. Love and hate. So what
0: we're gonna move on to mm-hmm. is you should never inspire the wrath of Carrie Fisher. Nope who is no longer with us, sadly, Mm -hmm. but whose presence continues to delight in her own way. Mm -hmm. An exec at Sony had a history of sexually harassing women. Mm -hmm. Carrie Fisher warned her friend Heather Ross about it and then also (laughs) mailed a beef tongue to the producer Mm -hmm. warning him... To not bother Heather Ross.
1: Yeah. She personally delivered. This is what she said to her friend who was recounting this.
0: And I, was, I asked her, I was like, w- okay, well,
2: what was inside? She's like, it was a cow tongue from the Jerry's Famous Deli in, in Westwood with a note that said, if you ever touch my darling Heather or any other woman again, the next delivery will be <clears throat> something of yours in a much smaller box. And I about died
1: God, off. God, what an angel. Oh, fuck. There's a heaven. She's in it she really is because I just the execution. Yeah. Everything about the it. The wit. The you wit. Know. Very short to the point, like exactly what you needed. Like, and I'm sure that producer was I mean, God knows, he's probably I mean He's probably still out fondling a day. He's probably exactly. He's still out of fondling, But But at least like we have this one moment.
0: Yeah. It's nice that like as women, like things are always like not going to be in our favor, but mm-hmm. then it's like there's like little things.
1: Yeah, there are little like nibbles that are like thrown up to you. They're like, ah, oh, yes, okay, thank you, thanks. It's like the universe attempting to like fix shit, and then something larger happens, and you're like, oh, never mind. And you like fall off the yeah. cliff again. But you gotta, you gotta enjoy those moments. That you, you gotta do. savor them. Yes, because you, you store them like precious jewels.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> you hoard them away. You just look at and them your every gnarled night. little <laughs> goblin fists. <laughs>
1: Um, speaking of gnarled goblins, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my favorite goblin, Woody Allen. Uh, has, oh, yeah, you love him. I am obsessed. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. <laughs> uh, we should clarify that. Megan is kidding. <laughs> yeah, I am joking. He's weighed in on the uh, the Harvey Weinstein situation because we were all definitely waiting for fucking Woody Allen to say something about this situation. Like, yeah. if there's Who one— shouldn't yeah. Should weigh in. Uh, out of all the people. I know. Woody out. This other perv. So he initially said that he felt sad for everyone involved, including Weinstein, the women, etc. And then he also said, you don't want it to lead to a witch hunt atmosphere, a Salem atmosphere, where every guy in an office who winks at a woman is suddenly having to call a lawyer to defend himself.
0: Ugh. Also, here's the thing with the phrase witch hunt. Mm. It's not a witch hunt when the person's guilty.
1: Mm-hmm. That's like
0: a manhunt. It's I mean, <laughs> a manhunt.
1: You're hunting for— Exactly.
0: It's also just like a witch hunt, like, implies that there, there are people who are not fucking up. But right. It's like, heaven forbid, all of the men who are sexually harassing their employees, heaven
1: forbid that they end up with the spotlight shown on them. Yep. Like, that's not the same thing. It's, it's not. And, I mean, again— No one was asking for Woody Allen's opinion on this. No one needed Woody Allen's opinion on this. No one needs Woody Allen's opinion on anything. I feel like he should just sort of fade. He's like 80-whatever years old. He should just fade quietly into the distance, continue making, like, his one, like, dumb movie a year and, like, shitting out another fucking Amazon series. And then that's it. And just, like, do that. People will still pay you money. He has money, like... How about we don't give him money, though? We could. We could cut that off. What we... if, like, if he does keep making movies, mm. he can only make the good
0: ones that happen every four years. Mm, um, interesting. And even okay. then, it's like, no, all of your money has to go to, like, rain. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um. So on Twitter, there was that guy who's the, st- who's the co-star of The Tick, Griffin mm-hmm. Newman, went on a very long thread oh, about right. how he— is going to have a very small part in this upcoming Woody Allen movie. It's already filmed.
1: Yeah. The one with Kate Winslet. Yeah. Wonder Wheel. He
0: always felt very uncomfortable with the idea of doing it, but it Mm -hmm. also felt like he there were reasons why he talked himself out of feeling reluctant for it. Oh, boy. Which, honestly, I can empathize with.
1: The, like, push-pull of, like, should
0: I? Yeah. Well, and it's like because we've all, like, worked with bad people. Of course. Because it's, like, something that— just like maybe there's something we want out of it, of you know. Course. Like, a lo- I doubt there's anybody who out there who can say that they've like never put aside their morals for something self serving. I feel
1: like I put aside my morals once a day, honestly.
0: But in light of the Weinstein thing, he came out and he was like, basically, I'm working with an accused rapist, mm-hmm. I believe his accuser, mm-hmm. I did this for XYZ reasons, which I know are shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he said that he's donating his entire salary to oh. Rain. Good for him. Um, which I also, yeah, it's, I mean, I think a lot of people, like, went after him and were kind of were like, well, why did you work with him in the first place? Oh. And he very much explained that, well, I he, thought, like,
1: showed his work, it sounds like, like, well, what went through.
0: And how do we expect people to apologize?
1: If Yeah, like, that's a larger question, I think.
0: that And that sort of seems like the problem where it's, like, the expectation is that you never fuck up, which is just impossible. Of because course, because we we're human like, beings. Yeah, we're, like, a bunch of, like, dumb, angry, violent chimps. yeah. And so this guy like made a mistake. He regretted it at the time. He regrets it now. Mm-hmm. He's doing like probably the nicest like the most aggressive no. way that you can like, right. um, you know, try to make
1: up for it. Yeah.
0: And I don't know. I just think it seems really stupid to like
1: then to, like, go after him. On him for like why yeah, saying like why did you take this in the first place? Like that's fine. It's I mean, I guess maybe people are people like annoyed that he like tweeted through it instead of like issuing just like a statement.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe, but
1: he's not really, like, big enough to have right. a statement. Like, so. I only knew his name because of this thing. And I've heard about the tick for, like, the past three months. Right. I don't fucking understand what it is, nor do I want to. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I'm i do good know. there. <laughs> I just think it's, like, he, like, came clean. Yeah. he fucked up. He's trying to make up for it. And it's really screwy to then just be, like... Yeah. I mean, I guess you can apologize and no one... Forced to forgive you. Correct. But it does seem very weird that this was a thing that no one knew about. And then right. it's like he like went about it in the responsible way.
1: People I don't are know. so dumb.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and people are like pissed off. And yeah. so it's it's easy to like, especially on Twitter, throw mm. your anger around. Right. That, you know. But just like be mad at Woody Allen. Yeah. Don't, don't
1: be mad at this guy. Who like is like owning up to like the decision that he made, explaining why he made the decision that he made, and then donating his salary. From this stupid movie about fucking Coney Island and Kate Winslet to Rain.
0: I'm sure that, like, none of these people who are going after him, I'm sure they've never went and seen a Woody Allen movie. Never paid for one. Definitely never seen Annie Hall. Yeah, never, like, you know, witnessed anything made by an alleged sexual predator or harasser. It's just, like, everyone's so full of shit.
1: Everyone is extremely full of shit, and I think the sooner that we all admit Freely that we are full of shit. Yeah, welcome to be a better place. I think that's what Griffin Newman kind of did. God bless him. He started it. Yeah, Woody Allen. Just I'd like to see. I just want to clarify. I guess that his his dumb comments about dumb Harvey Weinstein. He clarified them to be like I wasn't actually defending him. He said when I when I said I felt sad for Harvey Weinstein, I thought it was clear the meaning was because he is a sad, sick man. I was surprised it was treated differently. Lest there be any ambiguity, this statement clarifies my intention and feelings. Yeah. Okay, cool. Like, go back to your fucking gross, like, brown couch. <laughs> you know, like, he just sits on a brown couch and it smells like stale coffee and, like, sadness. And he just sits there and, like, types at a typewriter. And then he takes a nap. Then he wakes up, eats, like, one of those gross, like, Rye Vita crackers. Those really dry ones. It was yeah. Very specific. We're and
0: all this. Huh? We're Yi and all of this.
1: She's making the crackers. Oh, making them. <laughs> she's in the kitchen. She's putting cottage cheese on the crackers.
0: Um, I think also the thing that actually bugs me about his statement isn't the whole like feeling sorry for Harvey Weinstein yeah. thing. It's the witch hunt thing. Yeah, that's, like, that's what I come back to where it's like that's where you're defending somebody.
1: Yeah. You're not.
0: It's not like saying like you feel bad for this person because right. I mean, in a weird way I get that and that sure it's like, yeah, yeah, he like this guy is As much a victim of uh, the patriarchy as the rest of us, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but also victimized way more people, you know? Right. So it's like that part of the statement doesn't even get my hackles up as nearly as much
1: as like being like,
0: Worry about the men. What about the other men of Hollywood who have gotten away with everything
1: for years? Right. People could stand to not talk. Yeah, that's a great idea. Like (laughs) we say, it's what you talk endlessly. <laughs> I just think that some people who are currently speaking out at this very troubling time could stand to think everyone could stand to think about what they're going to say before they say it.
0: Yeah. And, and how that will maybe reflect back on that. Yes. And
1: just think for like, f- run it. There has got to be someone who in these people's camps that are like, hey, are you going to say this thing? I don't know. Maybe just like say something else or don't. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's let's go over here and you not talk. I guess it's nice, like, to see
0: certain people show their asses where it's, like, mm. the ones, like one of the few silver linings of this whole thing is yeah. seeing, like, Ben Affleck just make a <laughs> fool of himself and Matt Damon make a fool of himself. Yeah. Just these two gross Boston bros. Loaded.
1: Yeah. Oh, they're gross. Disgusting. Although I did, like, Good Will Hunting. I stand by that.
0: Yeah, but it turns out that they, like, another oh, that's secret right. is that, like, they, like, basically— <laughs> The a, script, a rumor is
1: that the script yeah, was
0: completely rewritten from the one that
1: they... That they submitted or whatever. Because yeah. it was, like, terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, moral of the story, again, everybody stop talking. Talk only if you have something good to say. And or if you have something interesting to say. Good or interesting. I would prefer... I guess I would take interesting over good. Yeah. And check yourself before you... Touch a yourself. lady who doesn't want to be touched. Don't touch women <laughs> who don't want to be touched... Or men, or men. literally anyone. If don't touch anyone that doesn't want to be touched, it's really stop simple. fucking winking at people, Woody Allen. <laughs>
0: So our guest today uh, has been by before we invited her back because she's just a wealth of knowledge and a treat uh, we haven't reached the end of her knowledge yet so we will keep just using her it Don't is endless worry.
2: in time we will we will reach the end I doubt
0: it <laughs> we have with us a uh, staff writer she is also the curator of our subsite pictorial which kind of is just ephemera from past decades. It's really cool. It's one of the only things I read on the internet,
1: not just Jezebel. (laughs) Uh, We have with us Kelly Faircloth. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Of course. And we have Kelly here to talk about um, the history of the casting couch. Something
0: that's been just because of the Weinstein fallout. It's been in the news a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of this idea of actresses um, who have... The rumors, say, have maybe slept their way into roles, that type of thing. Kelly has actually been working on a longer piece about this, and just about the history of the casting couch, which is really interesting. And it's a concept that I think is worth digging deeper on because it is a very sexist one and it's like abusive at worst, career damaging at best. And I know one reason I've been thinking about this a lot is George Clooney when he was asked about Harvey Weinstein, released what was maybe the only decent I-didn't-know-what-was-going-on statement, even though I'm not sure if I believe it entirely. Right. But he told the Daily Beast, I've heard rumors, and the rumors in general started back in the 90s, and they were that certain actresses had slept with Harvey to get a role. It seemed like a way to smear the actresses and demean them by saying that they didn't get their jobs based on their talent, so I took those rumors with a grain of salt. So I kind of want to throw it to you, uh, Ms. Faircloth, to discuss sort of how actresses have historically been associated with the casting couch.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because there's actually a much longer history at work here than just even the history of the film industry. It goes back several hundred years just sort of in Western history and specifically like in, you know, in London and Paris. I mean, traditionally, like women who were in the theater were very like stigmatized and very sort of assumed to be sexually available. And the stereotype was that basically a theater was like a brothel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting sort of ins and outs to that. I spoke to um, Kristen Pollan, who's a professor at the University of Illinois, the author of this book called Actresses and Whores, about sort of the history of this like complex association between women in the theater and, and, you know, presumed sexual availability and sex work and A lot of times, you know, traditionally, like when we're going back to when women first started appearing in the theater, like the theater is dominated by people from the working class. Women from the working classes are not afforded the same protections and, and, you know, they don't have those protections of like presumed like chivalry or, or, you know, or men don't feel obligated to offer them the same treatment. But then there's also this other sort of flip side to it where – like you're a successful, adventurous woman who has what it takes to make it on stage. Maybe you are generally more adventurous, and maybe you do. You know, the Marquess of whatever comes to you and says, "I think you're a beautiful, charming woman. I'm a fascinating man. Maybe let's. You know, would you like me to shower you in jewels?" <laughs> and it's like, you know, what else are you gonna do? And you know, we've all seen <laughs> Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yes, we all have seen <laughs> Moulin Rouge. On the
0: hand,
2: Basically, if you've seen me on Richie then you know it, you get it. Yeah, Yeah. you know exactly as (laughs) much as Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, you have, like, you know, like, you especially see this in the Restoration when after Cromwell, like, they put Charles II on the throne after (laughs) chopping off his dad's head. They have all these years of, like, Puritan rule. Then they put Charles II back on the throne. And basically, it's, like, just a huge party for decades. Okay. Um, and he just—he has so many mistresses. Like, you go to the National—like, the Portrait Gallery in London. And it's just—there's this entire room that's just, like, mistress, 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 mistress. And one of them is this woman, Nell Gwynn, who's, like, this brilliant, beautiful, witty actress. Yeah, like, that name definitely rings a bell. Mm-hmm. Pretty witty Nellie Gwynn <laughs> is what Samuel Pepys called her. You know, it's, it, it's interesting because there's, like, this— Interesting phenomenon where to some extent it's that women have this set of cultural scripts put on them because they aren't living conventional lives. And to some extent, it's also that just due to the way that society is structured and where they're coming from, I mean they are more sort of vulnerable to exploitation and like their labor conditions are, you know, are really tough and like, you know, there's not a lot of protections for them. And, you know, this professor told me that in fact. Men could like pay extra with their ticket to go backstage and hang out and like basically get backstage passes (laughs) to where, you know, women were like doing the work of being actresses and changing clothes and socializing. And so it's this very complicated set of phenomena that over the years, you end up having this very long running association between like actresses and women of the theater and sex.
0: It's really interesting and just sad that what you're saying, like their class made them vulnerable maybe to these projections, and also to these realities. Whereas, you know, upper class women had chaperones and had all of this stuff. But Mm -hmm. like, either way, it's just their sexuality being policed in a way that is Mm -hmm. like beyond their control. And Mm -hmm. that is gross. (laughs) And being a woman is cool. It's hard and fun.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the the dresses look great, but otherwise being a woman in history is
1: yeah, yeah not the, not. Cl- the clothes <laughs> are garbage. awesome, but basically, everything else is shit. So. Basically,
2: is the whole TLDR on that deal. <laughs> yeah,
0: man. <laughs> so this were like jumping forward 100 years, mm-hmm. give or take, to basically the studio era of Hollywood where mm-hmm. studios basically, um, if you were on a contract with them, they essentially owned you. Um, mm-hmm. And that sometimes worked out well in that they would cover up crimes for you if you happened to be a guy. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes that did not work out so well. And one of these cases was really widely publicized actually more recently than it was at the time where a woman, Patricia Douglas, uh, was raped at a party where uh, studio accountants and studio you know, financiers were kind of invited to just have sex with this row of act- actresses. And the documentary about her is called Girl 27. There were the whole vocabulary of bad woman, slut, tart, tramp, everything came up immediately. If, if anybody mentioned she was raped. All the women had a number and hers was mm-hmm. 27. Mm-hmm. And she's just the one whose rape was publicized eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, n- there's at least... 26 other girls at that party who I'm sure Mm -hmm. not all of them were there to, like, have a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, But because of the way the studio system worked, they just sort of had to show up and they were expected to just, like, fuck these old rich dudes because that's what was promised when they came to visit Mm -hmm. the studios. Is like, you're going to get to mix and mingle Mm -hmm. with these hot young things.
2: And, like, just to drop back to sort of, like, the beginning of the stu- of the h- motion picture industry in Hollywood, and at first, you know, women actually end up in more roles than you might think. They have more power behind the screen initially, like, sort of in the early, early days, before the studio system really takes hold, like, in the 20s. And it's interesting because at the sort of same time you have, like, all these young women flooding from the country into the cities and, like, going to work and all these new jobs. They're working at department stores and they're working in offices and they're, you know, they're taking over, like, as secretaries and sort of there's this new move of, like, young women. Taking on these new jobs, and there's all this cultural anxiety that's happening. And then in Hollywood, it's a boom town for, for women. Like, you know, there's all sorts of women, and like there's female screenwriters and female, you know, actresses and costume ladies and you know, editors too, and, just you know mm-hmm, all these new jobs. And what's interesting is you do start to start to see all this concern. You know, another professor I spoke to, Hilary Hallett, she said you, you know, you start to see all this concern about the prospect of all these, you know, young women trading sex for work. And how much of that is sort of—it's it's a question how much that was actually happening. Because a lot of the thing that, you know, I've really noticed about this is that it's really hard to pin down details because it's sort of just this idea, this nebulous, oh, you know, did you hear about so-and-so? So-and-so didn't do the casting couch, so she, you know, washed out. So-and-so, you know, oh, did you hear so-and-so did, you know? But it seems like, to me, you know, sort of the golden age of the term and when sort of you have the system that makes it most likely is the studio system you know it concentrates the power in the hands of like key men basically and you know they basically it really does turn into this system where they can offer you more but also you know they have more power so they can deny you more and like they could cover up anything (laughs) apparently they like
0: literally covered up murders
2: yeah it's like and the the girl 27 thing is a good then that documentary is a good example it's like she wasn't going to go quietly no But they won in the end. Yeah, they
0: snuffed her out. (laughs) Yeah. There's also a crazy story that um, you and I, Kelly, have talked about this book, uh, Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon.
2: Oh, Hollywood Babylon.
0: There's a story I first read there. And the thing with Hollywood Babylon is that it is very interesting. But Kenneth Anger, who is also a director, very clearly hates women <laughs> so much. Cool. <laughs> and so there's a lot of things in there that you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because he like talks.
2: A salt mine. Yeah, probably. exactly.
0: Where he says things like, oh, you know, like this actress who was uh, basically portrayed as like a very, uh, very much like the blushing virgin in movies. He's like, she was just a whore fucking everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, and this one who was sort of a vamp, she actually was like an uptight prude. Yeah. But one story he actually gets fairly wrong in his book is the one of Fatty Arbuckle Mm -hmm. um, that ruined his career pretty much, uh, which is that. Again, at another Hollywood party organized by some studio heads, a young woman was killed. So she died, I think, a few days after. But Mm -hmm. the way the story went at first was that after sharing a few drinks with Fatty Arbuckle, who was very much like the comedic star of the century, he was Mm -hmm. a huge fucking deal. So it's like... I think I've heard this analogy before, so I'm like, don't want to just plagiarize okay. someone, but like, say like Will Farrell was accused of mm-hmm. okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, killing somebody. Got it was it. like yeah. a big deal. The way that her friend, uh, whose name is uh Maud Delmont, she is kind of a known Hollywood madam, describes it, is mm-hmm. that after having a few drinks with Fatty Arbuckle, this woman, her name is Virginia Rapp, a young actress, very pretty. After a few drinks with a uh, fatty Arbuckle, <laughs> um, He pulls her into a room. A few minutes later, Maud hears screaming. She pounds on the door to kick it down. It's locked. Finally, Fatty Arbuckle opens it in his pajamas, wearing this young woman, Virginia's hat, askew on his head, and, like, looking all goofy while she's on the bed, just moaning in agony. Mm-hmm. she's taken to the hospital. Within a week, she has died of a ruptured bladder. And so newspapers loved this story, and they just ran with it super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole thing was that Fatty Arbuckle had basically crushed her with his weight while raping her. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what crushed her bladder. What actually happened, well, and then also the this woman, uh, Maude, the madam, she talked to anyone who would listen. Mm-hmm. Her story changed a lot. In some, she had just met Virginia. and others, they were really old friends. It was very unreliable, but the newspapers just ate it up. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, when it actually went to court, it was like, basically it took like a five-minute deliberation of the jury where they're like, he has an alibi. None of this checks out. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the rare cases where that's true. Like, mm-hmm. he was not really in the same room as her for the most right. part. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of everything actually seems legit in that Batty mm-hmm. Arbuckle did not. Like crushed this woman this to death. This poor girl,
1: mm-hmm. by
0: raping uh, her, and but it ruined his career. He never worked mm-hmm. for the most part again, which like f- sucks for him. Yeah, but you like think of the culture that allowed this like young girl to go to this party, mm-hmm. surrounded by all these strangers, and like not be able to like get
1: help as she's dying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The whole thing <laughs> is just obviously so upsetting. I mean, it's yeah. extreme. It's extremely upsetting. But I mean. And I would say that the fact that Fatty, Mr. Arbuckle, I don't know, just calling him Fatty feels rude. Yes. (laughs) That is technically his name. I mean, the fact that he was eventually, his his career was ruined because of this is obviously, like, sad for his career or whatever. But I don't think that that's, given the more modern cases of bad men in Hollywood being accused of doing terrible things, even if they have or if they haven't done them, they continue to work.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the difference is that everyone like kind of has to get on board with believing something where Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. with, say, Woody Allen and the accusations surrounding sexual assault and him. Mm. It's like there are still so many people who are convinced that he didn't do it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like that's true. That's, I think, where like the wiggle room happens. You do
1: have Mm -hmm. to scare up enough. Yeah. Everyone has to be united on either one.
0: I mean, I think what's
2: interesting about the context of the Fatty Arbuckle thing is, you know, this is what I found when I've sort of been looking into sort of the progression of sort of the idea of this trope. You know, there was just so much, like, cultural concern in the early 20s -hmm. about, like, our girls. Like, you know, there's, like, you see this in so many different ways. You see this in the flappers. You see this in, like, you know, eugenics-type Like, scientific racism. You see it in, like, all these places where sort of this anxiety about, like, what's happening to our girls. Like, you see it. And, you know, I think it played really well to a lot of anxieties for, you know, the newspapers to just be like, oh, you know, basically to be like, look at the Hollywood Babylon. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah like, part of what was happening is that, like, actually, you know, like, women could go out there and make a living. Right. I think if there's one thing that we've learned from the, har- like, the, the, the you know, the stories of the last week, it's that, like, there probably were people moving in the early film industry who were, like, predatory. But, like, I think that that's probably true because that seems to be unfortunate, like,
0: you a know. universal truth. Yeah,
2: Joanna did that article recently that was, like, you know, where can I go to work that's, you know, and it's, like, You know, Antarctica, beekeeping—it's like you know. I mean, not not, everything. I'm not making any specific allegations about beekeeping, but like that's what's interesting about it to me is that we have this trope about Hollywood that there's the casting couch, and I think that. It's this weird concept that does a lot of heavy lifting culturally because it simultaneously acknowledges the potential for sexual abuse. It reframes sexual abuse as a question of like what the woman did, and it also has this sort of power to question the achievements of women to be like, oh, you know, is she a casting couch case? And so it's like, you know, he can offer you favors. You say, yeah. but like, how do you, you know, like you're what, like a 19 year old kid right. from Kansas? Like, how do yeah. you say no to a studio head? You know, it's like. To me, it's it's this, like, really weird, complicated sort of, like, I, I don't know. I think it's a very, like, toxic trope, honestly. Well, and I think
0: you just hit the nail on the head in that it sort of shows how these things feed each other where, one, another thing is, like, if you make Hollywood, Sodom and Gomorrah, that absolves you as a small-town person, even mm-hmm. though there are people everywhere who are willing to take advantage of other people, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, like— It's not like these girls, like, had no chance of ever being harmed if they just stayed home and, you know, acted like good wives, which I'm sure that was being said back then where it's like
1: they just learned their boundaries, you know. Like you learned a lesson by going to try to, like, make something of yourself in Hollywood. Like, this is what you get.
2: But, like, God knows if you, like, picked the wrong husband in your small town in 1919, Mm -hmm. like— Who's gonna protect you from that? Like there's not even marital rape laws at this point. Like you know, that's not even considered. There's all these abuses, and it's just fascinating to me that like you have this idea of the casting couch in like the 40s and 50s, and it's like like it seems to me that you know part of what the work that thing is doing is it's implicating women. Yeah, it's like you made
0: this choice to go there. Mm -hmm. That's so sad. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like that attitude then probably did in some weird way empower these studio heads where it's like if like the rest of the world is just like ooh these guys have all the power in the world look what they can do then you're going to start believing that about yourself where it's just like yeah i mean let's show let's show you hollywood babylon like let's mm-hmm. show you how great it is and right. you know that mm-hmm. type of thing so
2: i mean honestly like you know what was striking to me is like if you had like sat down and designed a system to like provide cover For abuses. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, I think you'd be hard pressed to design something better than the studio system, which, like, just incredible the amount of power to, like, make or break people Mm -hmm. that these guys had.
0: I mean, and it went beyond sexual harassment. It also went into union busting and it went into Mm -hmm. racism and it went into, you know, not that any of those things are exclusive from one another. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, and I want you to actually get into this because you have the quote from, I believe, the 40s that is very good.
2: I found this quote from Modern Screen Magazine in 1941. It's sort of about this, you know, report from the Hollywood scene or whatever. It's like, we're going to tell you how Hollywood really is. And deep in the piece, it says, The day of the quote-unquote casting couch, when a girl had to exercise her libido instead of her talent for a job, is almost dead. The much-publicized and traditional Hollywood orgy died that evening when Fatty Arbuckle became involved in the community's most colossal scandal, which meant the end of Virginia Rap." Today, Hollywood parties are pretty dull and business-like affairs, where Daryl Zanuck is talking about himself, and boring Joe Pasternak would like to talk about himself, and where Jack Benny won't talk at all for fear of losing a gag to Bob Hope and Ken Murray, who are also silent. Now, what's interesting about this quote is that it's from 1941, the case, the party where um, Patricia Douglas was. That was in 1937, so Mm. that was four years ago um, when this was written. And also, Daryl Zanuck is one of the names you kind of hear. And again, it's like, you know, you you don't hear a lot of specific allegations. It is kind of like the way people would talk about, you know, Weinstein in the comments of Laney gossip or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it is like, he's one of the people who gets named as as like having an active casting couch. And in fact, like yesterday at the Daily Mail, Joan Collins just did a piece saying that she was warned about him by Marilyn Monroe and that then he, you know, tried it with her. Like he like put the moves on her. So it, it's like, I think what is really interesting about this is you sort of see the casting couch evoked to be like, oh, I remember the crazy old days of Hollywood in the 20s with right. Batty Arbuckle and the old Hollywood orgy. That's done today. And it's like, it's not at all. And I think that that. It actually is kind of a warning for us because right. it's like, you know, oh, like, whoo, you know, we got that solved. <laughs> and it's like it's very easy to be, to like pin it on a specific person. But I yeah. think that, you know, there's a lot of like widespread evaluating of attitudes that have to happen in order right. to like actually get the job done this time instead of us looking back in 20 years and being like, well, thank God that's done. You know, it's well, like
0: the Xanax are still a really powerful family in film. Like they still are really like living off those riches. <laughs>
1: So what other things did you find in your reporting? I think there's also, like, a fetish
2: dimension to the way we talk about the casting couch. Oh, definitely. 100%. Like, like the first instance I found of the term was this, like, 1924 stag film, which is, like, early softcore pornography called The Casting Couch. Mm. And another thing I came across was there was this – you know 1963 article from the like kind of like down market playboy competitor called jim and it was like you know this article that's like a new look at the old casting couch and it's you know a picture of a naked of a woman's butt you mm, know yeah. a naked woman's butt and it's like <laughs> and i think that it does also kind of become this like lascivious joke thing that's like yeah. oh the old you know the you know the old casting couch like it's kind of has this like lecherous air yeah. the whole idea which is also like gross on its on a whole additional level
0: yeah, very, I mean, very much like these, like pretty but desperate young women who are willing to do anything with these disgusting mm-hmm. ghouls who are just like so rich and powerful mm-hmm. that they can. It's like Jabba the Hutt and Princess Leia, where it's like mm-hmm. they can make you dance for them. Oh. But you know, and I
2: get the impression that it's like a like a porn trip, Like even now, I think like, it
1: still is. That's what I was gonna is what well, the porn that I was thinking of. This is terrible don't even. Bang Bus is kind of like. Yeah. Right? Oh, right. It's kind yeah. of like a casting ga- yeah. It's kind of playing off of that trope. And if I'm correct me, anyone who's listening, please correct me if I'm wrong. Bang Bus, it's like, it's like there's a bus, the Bang Bus, right? Yes. And there's women, like younger porn stars, who come onto this thing as if they were like strangers. And then they fuck the dudes that are on the bus. Oftentimes they like will pick up somebody. They'll pick up like someone else. They'll pick up like one and they'll pick up another. Yeah. And then they'll fuck on the bus. Yes. For like the idea of like some sort of that this perhaps. I mean, part of that is like the an- like the perceived anonymity of like those yeah. people being strangers, but it's also like a weird sort of like fuck your way to fame. Yeah, like do you think she'll make it in the it's in the real porn industry? Yeah. It's another gross thing that I thought about, but I'm pretty sure that the casting couch in some iteration is still around in in porn. If and in life. Bus. And in life, yeah. People are still people are still being asked to like suck a dick for a job.
0: So ladies, if you wanna <laughs> if you wanna suck someone's dick. You can. I do not judge you. <clears throat> nope. You can I mean, I might judge like your choice in man, but I don't judge the dick sucking.
1: Or yeah, the the exactly the action.
0: I have no yeah, judge. If this no is judgment. fun for you and you wanna go for it. Please. Yes. Great. If you Don't really want to do it, but you feel like you have to. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. There are systems (laughs) out there. (laughs) So, tips at (laughs) jezebel.com. Tips at jezebel.com. We would love to tell your story. I'd love to hear it. Yep. Um, Yep. But also, we would like to extend live in a world where you feel empowered enough not to do that because you're a talented person. Set the casting couch on fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's worth pointing out too that this is not to say that like actresses are lucky. But in that, like, being in the public eye, there is way more of a platform for people to listen and sympathize with these women who are coming forward, as they should be listened to and sympathized with. Mm-hmm. But as you were saying, where it was, like, easy to pin all this shit on Hollywood, mm-hmm. it happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's very much like, oh, look at, you know, these capitalists and their, you know, mm-hmm. fucking Hollywood Hills right. pieces of shit. Yeah. But it's just like every industry has this in a, to a certain extent. Every mm-hmm. single one. As you said, like beekeeping, <laughs> Antarctica, yeah. um, the industry of Antarctica, the, yeah. uh, the Antarctica industry, yeah, that, you know, well. ice mining, um, penguins. Like, all of these, play- all of these industries have it, but the people who come forward don't have nearly anything close to the mouthpieces that right. these public figures have. And so, it's interesting. One that actresses have kind of always been associated with being prostitutes mm-hmm. or being sex workers, mm-hmm. and then also. That this is pervasive and is everywhere, and that's not necessarily true for secretaries, but there are definitely tropes about secretaries and that type mm-hmm. of thing, where just like women can't catch a fucking break, yeah. really cannot apparently, yeah, except for in media. <laughs> 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 yeah,
1: we're doing fine. We're doing just great. <laughs> Kelly takes a gulp of water.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's fine. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for listening to Dirtcast, and thank you to Kelly Faircloth. Our show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Dries. Monana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. This episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Want to send us a tip or just let us know what you think? Hit us up at Jezebel.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.